Some people say, oh, you're running an Airbnb. It's not. I'm not interested in doing Airbnb. I don't want to have just anybody. It's people from the dance community who have something in common. Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Belladance Live podcast. I'm your host, Jana Komarnitska, and I'm thrilled to share a new portion of dance inspiration with you. If you are a new listener, welcome to the show. Don't forget to subscribe and receive automatic updates about our new episodes. And if you are our regular listener, welcome back. Please leave your reviews on whichever app you're listening. They really help me promote the show and spread awareness about Belladance art form. Plus, I really like hearing back from you. On this note, let's get to our today's episode. Jelena and Belladance Evolution are back, taking their show and programs across the globe. You know how many guests we had previously on this podcast sharing how much their experience with BDE pushed their dance career. You can have it too. Audition for Jelena's latest production and join Jungle Book cast. All details at www.joinbde.com. Direct link in the show notes, joinbde.com. Cairo is definitely a multi-layered city. And there are so many places, magical spots that are literally hidden from obvious touristic places and of course there are many special hidden places for dancers and one of those places you will discover about in our today's conversation. Our today's guest is Yasmina of Cairo, sometimes known as the English Rose of Cairo, has over 25 years of experience in the field of Egyptian Oriental dance. Originally from the UK, she spent many years traveling and dancing her way around the Middle East before settling in Cairo in 1995. Here she performed with her orchestra for eight consecutive years, appearing at major Cairo venues as well as hundreds of weddings and parties in Cairo and around Egypt. She has also worked extensively as a photojournalist in Cairo and writes regularly for several Egyptian and foreign publications. Based on her home beside the Giza pyramids, she is the coordinator and co-host for several international balladance tours each year and provides backup to both groups and individuals in their adventures in Egypt. In our today's conversation, we talked about Yasmina's dance career, the differences between dance contracts in the Gulf area and her work in Cairo, her decision to stop at some point active performance career but still be based and live in Egypt, the evolution of Cairo dance scene since 1995 and she arrived there till now, about her photography activities and some tips for ballet dancers who want to take some photos uh, in Cairo. Specifically, is it okay? Is it allowed to take photos in front of pyramids or any other spots like that? And of course, we talked about the unique experience that Yasmina provided her bed and breakfast accommodation, a literally magical spot where I had the pleasure not only to meet Yasmin in person, but record specifically this interview. And that particular spot, we will talk a lot about it in the interview, but I must say it's a really great spot as accommodation, but also perfectly crafted space for dancers where you can take some classes, use the studio space, use beautiful view in front of pyramids to do some shoots with Yasmina, to do many creative and inspiring work there. So, 
all these insights into hidden spots of Cairo will be discussed today in our today's conversation. I hope you will enjoy it. And as usual, don't forget to screenshot it and share with your friends. I'm pretty sure you know many of your dance friends who want to visit Egypt. So all these tips will be very useful for them, just as much as for you. Uh, so don't forget to share it with Belgian's community. Let us know what you enjoyed from this episode. And I hope to see you next time. This episode was brought to you by the Yana Dance Club, a meeting place for committed dance enthusiasts of all levels. Most of our members shared that the club helped them to improve consistency in their training, meet new dance friends, and discover various topics through hundreds of different tutorials. This is definitely a belly dance training that becomes a lifestyle. Learn more at yanadanceclub.com, link in the show notes, or simply visit yanadanceclub.com and try for 7 days for free. Yasmina, thank you so much for agreeing to participate in the interview and also uh, inviting me to visit your place here in Cairo and uh, to do this interview here. It's really a pleasure and honor and to meet you and to, to talk to you today. Well, thank you for asking me. It's a pleasure to be here and welcome you in my home. <laughs> um, you have a very long and rich uh, dance journey already so far, but I really like to start from the very, very beginning. Do you remember your first interaction when you saw for the first time ballet dance and then you thought like, oh, I want to learn it? Yes. <laughs> or maybe it was not like the first time you right away wanted to learn it. <laughs> uh, no, I think it was. I was a student and um, I traveled on holiday to Morocco so the first time I saw it it was not in Egypt um, I uh, was by chance in Morocco I saw a show it wasn't really belly dance it was uh, a kind of folklore belly dance mix but the music was incredible to me mm. so from there uh, when I was there I started to buy music Arabic music and of course Egyptian music is across the whole Middle East is um, known. It's what people are familiar with. And so I started a big music collection. I took it back to London and I was a student. I was studying photography, which is my other profession. So um, I began to play the music all the time and it was the music which made me want to learn the dance. Mm. So then I found out that in London I could go and take some classes. It, there was uh, very little available in those days because we're talking um, a long time ago. It was in the 80s, 1980s, yes, in the mid-80s and uh, was my first introduction. So I, I took a few classes and then um, while I was still a student, I started performing much too early before I really knew what I was doing. Um, but in those days, you could get a job in a Greek or Arabic restaurant. Mm -hmm. And that's how I started. So I learned um, working with live music and so on. So in London, in that period, there was a very rich um, 
life of Arabic music because a lot of Arabic nightclubs were working in London and in Paris. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason for that is because the Gulf countries um, were recently oil rich and they were traveling and they were looking for entertainment in those places. So a lot of Egyptian musicians and uh, Egyptian business people open nightclubs in London. Mm-hmm. So you may know about that, um, but so it was a great opportunity, I suppose. Some Egyptian dancers and famous uh, musicians from Egypt worked in London at the time, so it was very different from now. That was my introduction. Mm. Uh, it's interesting how your both uh, passions and careers, like in dance and photography, they started really early. And I have a very, uh, maybe funny question, but as a photographer, who you were studying photography back then, and you got this collection of music that enchanted you. Have you ever used this music as a background music for your photo shoots? Because I know sometimes photographers like to set up a mood with music, so I'm yeah, curious to that, know. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you should say that, because at the time I was working as a fashion photographer in London, and in my studio I used to play Arabic music, and the models thought I was crazy. They were like, "What? why aren't you playing... I don't know, like Depeche Mode or some uh, pop song from the time. I was playing Arabic music. People thought it was strange. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was definitely the music that drew me into the dance. And then um, I began to work as a fashion photographer. And at the same time, I was getting more experience as a dancer and I was working at night in uh, Arabic nightclubs in London and in the day in my studio taking pictures. So mm-hmm. it was very, it was too much actually. So I had to make a choice mm-hmm. and uh, I decided, oh well, I can always be a photographer later, but I have to dance while I'm young. And I was young then, so I, uh, I decided just to take a little trip to the Middle East to explore, to have that experience. And then I thought, and then I'll just get it out of my system and I'll co- go back to, and continue my mm-hmm. career as a photographer. Of course, that's not what happened at all. Obviously. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I left. I, um, I began to travel and work in, uh, as a dancer. And my first, um, uh, my first contracts were for a Lebanese um, impresario called Doros, you may have heard of. Famous uh, one, yeah. Yeah, so I worked for consistently around uh, the Gulf, Bahrain, uh, UAE, and in Jordan and Syria uh, for, for him, like for about four years, like continuous. And I also went back to Morocco and worked as a dancer in Morocco, which was kind of funny because it was the place where I first heard the music. And I was, I, I got a contract there with an Egyptian orchestra in Casablanca. And that was really what made me want to come to Egypt. Mm. What was um, the difference? Um, the, in the music, just that sheer energy of the live music with an Egyptian orchestra was incredible yeah 
and even because in the Gulf you you do hotel contracts and the the it's live music well it used to be um, and but it's usually Lebanese musicians and small bands maybe three four people and that was different but uh, when I came then finally I came to Egypt and uh, the, when I first came to Cairo it was in 1994 uh, and I think the only reason I came was because I had a contract cancelled and I thought oh we'll go to Egypt and take a look and buy some costumes mm -hmm. so I came and that was it when I saw the the shows here, when I heard the, the live music here, I just wasn't interested in being in the Gulf anymore. So. Uh, but did you go after that or you just stayed and cancelled all other? Like, yeah, I told Toros I can't work for you anymore, I'm going to Egypt. And he, wow, that's he, bold. <laughs> yeah, he was saying, oh, um, you won't, yeah, you, you'll regret it, you'll come back, he said, mm. but I, I didn't. Actually, I did take a contract after that in Dubai later on, but just just one or two, tw once or twice. Mm. But then I was basically here, and um, I auditioned here, and I got my first job in uh, the Meridian Heliopolis in 1995. Mm. <laughs> and uh, at the, that time, I mean, the, the dance scene was completely different to what it is now. Mm. And except for uh, dance and music, uh, seeing an impression that you saw in Cairo, what was your first impression about Cairo itself? Um, very raw energy, like exciting kind of energy. And uh, because it's a very old city and it has many layers, if you, you understand what I mean. So, um, of course, Countries like Jordan and Syria have an amazing history as well. But after working in the Gulf, where um, you're very much stuck in the in a kind of hotel or in the hotel, and there's a kind of the culture laid over the top in Dubai is uh, there's a lot of Westerners there, mm -hmm. but they are not um, what's the word. They're not kind of integrated into the local culture at all. It's separate. Mm. So you find, like I found in the Gulf, that the, the culture of the, the Gulf people is kind of hidden. You, it was then. I haven't been back for many years, but it was very difficult to really get inside the culture. But here in Egypt, you know, you, you could feel it all around. You could experience it. And I really love that. Mm. Yeah. And uh, adapting into life and work in mm. Cairo after mm. working uh, as a contract dancer in many mm. other countries, what was the main uh, difference? Was it easy for you to adapt to reality? Because one thing is to see the shows, being impressed and wanted, but yeah. another thing is actually trying to get into the scene. Yeah. Was that transition easy for you? What was the main kind of, for you personal, like difference between what you did before and what you had to do like in Cairo in terms of work? So all the contracts I did before, everything was set up for me. I just had to arrive with my suitcase full of costumes and everything else is already arranged. In Cairo, it wasn't like that at all. Mm. 
I had to enter the market, I had to audition, find an impresario, find a, a, a place to work. And also just the system was very different because uh, whereas outside of Egypt, um, an impresario like Toros would have he would have all the contracts in all the different places. But here, it was not like that. Um, each venue had its own impresario. So if you want to work in such and such a place, you need to go through this person. Mm -hmm. So it was... Now everything has changed, but we can talk about that after, but if you like. Back then, like, did you also mm -hmm. have like how now it works, like that each dancer has its manager. So yes, there yes. are representatives of mm. venues, but there's manager yes. who actually arranged yes. the In your so case, you, like back then, I yes. think, how was it? You had, I had a manager, I had um, an orchestra, and of course, they call it an orchestra in Egypt, even when it's just as a few musicians. Um, but yeah, so... Uh, you have to have your own band and that was the the first thing so you have to your find a manager who will then organize the band for you then you have to rehearse with them you have to um, learn I had to learn what the audience in Egypt wants it's completely different from how it was in other places so you have to learn and also it's um, you need to learn the language It's um, it's really important uh, to know what's going on around you because it's um, very easy for people to take advantage of you, for you to to not really know what's going on, and and uh, it's it's important to understand the 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 culture, the context, and everything that around the work itself. So that was daunting. I had obviously I had help. I had a few wrong turns before I found the right one. Um, but I was fortunate that the the hotel where I started working, they liked foreigners. Because, again, it's not like now there's dozens and dozens of foreigners working in Egypt. But in that time, there was maybe half a dozen, like maybe six or seven uh, foreigners. And uh, the rest were Egyptians. And some of the Egyptians were very like, big stars, you know, people like Fifi Abdu, um, Mona Said, uh, Suhair Zaki, they were still working. Mm -hmm. Actually, Suhair Zaki and Mona Said, they retired around the time when I started. But Nagu Fouad, um, uh, Lucy, Dina, all these people. So you were entering uh, a very difficult marketplace and you needed to prefer, prepare a whole show again this is um, not always the case now but you had to learn um, how to present a whole show which had folkloric elements which had um, classical elements uh, be able to perform uh, a tarab song uh, something very serious and know what it was about and convince people that you're that you can entertain them mm -hmm. yeah um and so th this was all challenging but as i say the the meridian where i got my first job they had had a dancer called sahara saida that you may it's very also very well known in the dance community she'd been working there for six years before i came 
So they had loved having her, and they were like, okay, another foreigner. In fact, there was another uh, foreigner before me as well for a short time, but um, Jamila was her name. Uh, but anyway, I got that contract, and it was a good kind of learning base for me. Mm. Stayed there for a couple of years, and uh, then worked for about uh, eight years co consecutively, just like uh, daily, apart from in Ramadan, for the next eight years, from 95 to 2003. Yeah. What did uh, make you decide to drop this as your main activity back then? Because I had, uh, had my son. And by that time, I'd been working, uh, well, for like mm, nearly more than 15 years in nightclubs. And I thought, it's, it's okay, it's enough. Okay. You know, that thing of, um, I mean, I loved, I loved being on stage. I loved having the, the, the orchestra and going to work. But at some point, you you start to want to have uh, a, a different lifestyle, or I did anyway. Mm. And lots of dancers do have children, but Egyptian dancers especially. Um, but I've always found it interesting that uh, I know several Egyptian dancers that I know have had only one child, because um, it's very, you know, combining the two things, having a family life and having... Um, uh, uh, dancing at night is doesn't always go together. You have to sacrifice something. You know, you have. I. This is uh, this is now. I'm talking about domestic things, but I didn't want to have like a full time nanny in my house living with me, and then I go out to work at night mm -hmm. and uh, and sleep in the day and not spend time with my child. That was that was how I felt, but maybe I wouldn't have felt like that if I had been younger. But I already felt I'd done a lot of performing, so it was okay mm. to have a new chapter. Mm. But of course, I carried on dancing, and uh, I then I began to uh, travel and teach a lot more than before because um, before I was just working in the. Uh, in the clubs and in weddings and in hotels here but then I when my son was a baby I started traveling more and taking him with me and doing festivals and teaching workshops and stuff like that so it was a different um, period with the dance and I found it interesting because my, my the dance changed for me when I stopped performing so much and started teaching more. Hmm. If I may ask one more, like a little bit on a personal note question, uh, like your decision to stay actually in Egypt uh, mm -hmm. after, because um, we had many interviews with dancers, foreign dancers and Egyptian dancers, but even specifically foreign dancers who lived or live in Cairo and mm -hmm. have this performance career. And many of them either talked about their previous experience or their thoughts about their future experience that, uh, first of all, when they decide to possibly stop or 
they had this possible stop, already stop their active performance career, they're questioning if they actually want to stay in Cairo. Mm -hmm. And especially when it comes to the point of having kids and raising kids in Egypt. And for many of them, it's like the question of maybe relocating back to their home countries or any other countries. Like for you, like you were from, like you're from UK, like why did you decide, if I may ask, to stay in Egypt and not, let's say, open this new chapter somewhere in a different country? Very simple, because my son is half Egyptian. So my son's father is Safar Farid, the singer who is known to many in the worldwide belly dance community. And after we split, we continued to have a professional relationship. We produced many CDs together. We uh, worked taking the band on tour in different parts of the world. Um, we host parties, continue to host parties at my place in Cairo and run uh, workshops with live music. So all of that continued to happen as my son grew up and he had the benefit of seeing his father regularly. So that was really important. And uh, I'm not saying that I sacrificed for for this. You know, I, 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 love, I love Egypt. And uh, there were lots of other good reasons to stay. I felt... I could still be connected to the dance, to the music, to the culture, even uh, just because I was no longer going on the nightclub stage, it didn't mean that I didn't have a, still have a connection with it, with the, with the culture and with the music. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, in, it was important to me for, for my son to have a father who he saw and I had that, you know, sense of identity. Well, thank you for sharing. I was totally out of uh, uh, curiosity because many dancers have very different approach and it's yes. uh, of course different, like everyone's story and everyone's decisions are different, but thank you for sharing your experience about this. And uh, in your, like all these years of living in Cairo and been dancing in Cairo, uh, and especially in that moment of possible switching career, have you ever thought about going back to specific fashion photography and possibly trying to do something in, in Egypt, in Cairo? <laughs> well, um, you know, I'm, I, I feel, I, I suppose what was really interesting is that the fashion photography came full circle for me because then I found, uh, I picked up my camera again um, years and years later, actually not to take pictures of dancers, but because I started working for a magazine here, and um, a friend of mine who was the official photographer at the Opera House, he, 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 we, were, we were good friends, and he said, because I also write, I love to write, so he said, why don't you, uh, I'll come and introduce you to the editor and you can start writing articles, and then you can illustrate them with your pictures. So that's what I did. I, I worked for an English language magazine called Insight Magazine for about 10 years. So that was really good. I was still dancing when I started working for them. Um, and it was great because it opened me up to see the culture in a much wider context. Mm. So instead, because a lot of, as a dancer in Egypt, what happens, you get into a kind of, um, narrow lifestyle where you work at night, you sleep, you go to the costumier, 
you you go for your training and that's it you mm-hmm. don't you don't kind of participate in the wider um culture of, of Egypt well I'm, a lot of dancers don't because you're tired i mean uh if you're working hard and you're doing in those days we used to do um two or three regular gigs plus weddings sometimes have five shows in a night yeah. but yes i started um while uh, i was still dancing i started taking i went to meet this editor of this magazine and started to take some jobs doing some writing and then when um when i stopped doing the nightclubs then i did this even more so i um i did some lots of really interesting stories about um you know uh, what can i say uh general interest stories about lifestyle about um uh i used to be sent to to make interviews with people who if i was a, in the uk would never have happened because i don't have a, like a journalist carnet or something like that but because i spoke english and i wrote in english they would send me to interview government ministers mm-hmm. and important people uh write about um all kinds of things from architecture to uh one time i i went on um on location with the Cairo ambulance service for like a week like going with them Aww. and wrote a story about it i uh i got sent to to, uh, to cover stories on very interesting things um and it was quite funny because what, when i was doing this and i was still dancing i would sometimes find myself in a situation like uh at the end of the interview this person maybe some businessman or government minister would say i'm sure i've seen you somewhere before <laughs> and i would always say well you know maybe it was at a press conference or it was something because i knew what they they meant they probably been to their nephew's wedding or something like and seen me on stage but because they couldn't make this connection yeah. you know because not expected in, at all probably not, <laughs> not at all because in Egypt the idea that somebody who's doing a job like that and could not couldn't possibly be a dancer the two things were like not compatible um, so it was quite quite funny which article which piece of article was is uh, your favorite among everything that you worked on whichever comes first to your mind maybe <laughs> oh. um well there are there are a lot i mean um there was one that i did a whole story about orphanages in cairo which was really mm. a, a great story and i opened my eyes to a lot of things about uh, children and street children and um i I've I've done um yeah some social interest stories like this probably my maybe one of the ones that just, you said the first thing that comes in my mind I went to Luxor and I wrote an exposé about um uh the Luxor wives foreigners older women who marry young Egyptians and get quite often taken advantage of um you know like 
conned out of their money or so it was it was like a big expose story interviewing people that this had happened to uh, I heard about some of those kind of stories but yes. it's really interesting that uh, this is one of the articles you have been working to I did and then wow. I interviewed also the, from the other point of view <laughs> How easy was that to agree to, to, to find people to agree to participate? Yes, you'd be surprised. Yeah, I had good contacts there. So, yeah, but that was just a, a kind of a, a kind of a example of a story. Um, but I also used to do the the art page going for, for all the new galleries and opening mm. for artists in Cairo, which I was totally unqualified to do. But um, I found out that. When you are, when your first language is English, um, you you get asked to write a lot of stories simply because you can you can explain things well in English. That's the only reason. So some of the Egyptian artists before they would write, try to write about their own work, um, and if you've ever read, sometimes when artists are describing their own work, it's it's not easy to follow. It's also very difficult to, you know, see from slightly aside because you're too personal to your own work, I assume. Also. Yeah. So, but so I used to interview the artists, mm. and then I would write everything they said, but in a way that people can really understand. Mm -hmm. You know, not just because of the language of Arabic to English, but because of the language of artistic art mentality with all the terminology of the artist, and make it into something that people can can relate to mm -hmm. so yeah I used to do that um, and then regarding the going back to the photography I I was I sort of got I was using my camera again but not in the same way and then I had a friend who had bought some costumes from Iman Zaki and she said would you take some pictures of me in these costumes um, And we used to go out to a place outside Cairo in the countryside where a friend of mine has had a, a house. And so we did them there. And then she said to me, you know, I'm sure a lot of other dancers would like to have these kind of pictures. So I thought, you think so? <laughs> and then uh, that's how it started. So, yeah. And how about this place and the idea of uh, Yasmina bed and breakfast? Like, mm. was it uh, before you're getting into photography for ballet dances? Mm. Was it after? Was it on mm. the change of the, your career path? Or like, how the, the idea of creating this kind of place came together? Yeah, I think what happened was, um, by the time my son was little, he was about three years old, I started to say to myself, okay, I'm living in Cairo now, and because I've decided I, I should stay, it doesn't make sense to keep renting uh, an apartment. Why don't I buy one? Yeah. And it was a big step. So um, I, I, the, the, this same friend, actually, the, the first time I took pictures was of her, um, she used to come to Cairo regularly and she used to stay in an apartment very close to here, just around the corner. And I used to come here and visit her and I thought, mm, it's a nice area, you know, if I, it's close to the pyramids and it's easy to get into town. 
Um, if I was thinking of buying somewhere, maybe I would look here. So for you for living just, or you already yeah. was thinking about like as a like let's say business idea. No, no, just, just to live. live. Ah, yeah. So uh, one day I I I just got in my car and I drove here and I thought, well, I will just because in Egypt, if you want to find somewhere to live, you the way to do it is they have, uh, um, uh, for example, in every building there's a bawab, means the doorman at the who looks after the building. They know everything about the area. They know which apartments are for sale. They know, you know, all these things because they talk to each other. And so if you want to find out about... There are, of course, agencies as well. But if you want a particular area, it's very useful to ask the people working in that area and they can tell you. So I was living before in Haram, but much nearer you know, two or three miles down Haram Street. So I came here and I drove around. I came to this street and I stopped the car for the first time and uh, I wound down the window and I asked the Bawab, because he was sitting outside, um, uh, I, I would like to know if there are any apartments for sale around here because um, I'm interested in buying one. So he said, yes, in this building. <laughs> and then I said, well, but it has to be on the roof because I want to have a terrace on the mm. roof and I have to look at the pyramids. And he goes, yes, it has. <laughs> so it was literally the, the first... The first, the wow. first place I stopped. And he said, uh, I will... And I said, but I'm not ready to buy now because I need to organize myself. I need the money to or arrange for the money and all of this. And I'm talking about in, for example, six months' time. Mm -hmm. I would, and he said, well, the owners of this flat, they are building a villa outside and it's going to be ready in six months. <laughs> it was destiny. So it was destiny, yeah. yes, absolutely. So then the owner called me, I came to see the place and I walked in and I said, this is, I'm home. And it was the first place I ever looked. So it was, I think it was definitely meant to be. So then, uh, of course, it, it's, very, it's big because it was two apartments knocked together, joined together. And it, it was already joined together. Mm -hmm. And um, I, the owners, they said to me, who's going to live here? Surely it's not just you and your little boy. And I said, yeah. And they said, but it's way too big. And why do you want, it, why do you want such a big place? And I said, well, because I can, I guess. Because in London, you know, if you, the apartments are so tiny, mm -hmm. probably the same in most places in Europe. Um, and so just the idea of being able to have that much space. So then shortly after I moved in, I had some friends come and visit, and uh, they said, uh, you know, it would be really nice, a lot of people would like to maybe come and stay here, it might be nice to invite people and that's how it started mm. so the the first thing I did when I moved when I started to renovate it because it didn't look like this when I moved in uh, I was to make the dance studio because that was yeah I wanted to teach and I wanted people to be able to use it so it started like that 
And when you were starting, uh, you said you wanted to teach, but did you think about teaching uh, local people or you were thinking about uh, trying to gra- uh, to bring foreign students yes, to teach? because I was already teaching uh, workshops around in different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. So then um, it was the idea, it, I realized also because when people, dancers come to Egypt, they the things they want to do, they want to take classes, they want to buy costumes, they want to go and see shows, um, and sightseeing, of course, but the, the main focus is the dance. It's difficult to do these things if you go and stay in a regular hotel. Um, it's difficult to find out stuff, yeah. Even now, I would say I have quite a... Um adventure trying to figure out okay what are the venues how to find who is performing on which day and night so <laughs> nobody can tell you this <laughs> yes. and especially now because uh at least a few years ago you know it if somebody is dancing in the Semiramis or in the Nile Maxim it's just she's there every day and maybe for months or years mm-hmm. but now it's like the venues are changing the dancer all the time And uh, even for me, I have to keep up, you know, to, to be able to tell my guests who is where. And it, the, a regular hotel will never be able to do this for mm-hmm. you. You need a network of people helping. And the idea that you can take a class, you don't have to go somewhere. You can have the class here with quite often the teachers of your choice. In, and some of them, they want you to go to their studio, which is understandable. But um, a lot of them, like Randa, like um, uh, Dandesh, these people, they are not far from here, like Aziza. Mm. So I can also arrange drivers and I have... Uh, it's like a kind of... Also, most dancers are coming for a week or a limited time and they need to fit everything to do what they can so it's very important to make an itinerary which allows people to do all their things on their wish list so that's what I mm-hmm. I realize that it's it's useful it's useful for, uh, for people coming by themselves because I have had a lot of dancers come and stay here and they come alone um, because they feel safe Uh, not because Cairo is dangerous, by the way, but they feel like it's a, f- a friendly place to come back to at the end of the day. You know, they can kind of relax in a... It's not like being in a hotel. Yeah, but I would definitely add here that Cairo, it's not dangerous in terms of like, like life threat, but it's a very specific for... If it's a single woman, especially the first time in Cairo, mm-hmm. then like... Many interesting situations may happen, let's say. <laughs> so 100%. it's definitely good to have someone here, like, you know, to at least get guidance. Yes. Because in a regular hotel for dance staff, it's indeed, like, you will not find information. Sometimes you will try to call the venue that's supposed to have performance. And even there on the phone, they will not give you any information normally. <laughs> yes. And um, so I assume it got started also 
spontaneously like this idea of also hosting or offering for dancers to be hosted at uh, at this place for you mm-hmm. or was it already like more let's organized idea because you mentioned like you picked up uh, uh, doing uh, photography for dancers just because of a mm-hmm. chance that uh, like your friend suggested yes and you had some other stories like that just by chance so your idea of transforming your home your mm-hmm. space into more like you know uh I guess a hotel, but a different sense hotel, like venue, mm. like more like, a, I don't know, home for, for dancers. <laughs> yeah. Is Cairo? yeah. Like, was it also like spontaneous the first time you had people like that? Uh, or was it already like, you know, organized as like, okay, let's try to do this as a like project. Let's see if someone will get no. interested or something it like that. It was completely spontaneous and organic. So I, I hosted some somebody and then she told other people and then they uh, wrote to me and asked if they can come and then little by little it was like that I never advertised I started advertising on Facebook but until now I am very um, um, conscious of like how people know about it Mm. It's it's through the dance community some people say oh you're running an Airbnb it's not I'm not interested in doing Airbnb at all. I don't want to have just anybody. It, I, it's people from the dance community who have something in common, you know, that it's like a kind of worldwide network and it's enough for me. I don't want to be taking tourists or other people. I, I want it to be really um, specialized, like a boutique. Um, experience for for dancers. Mm-hmm. That isn't to say that I don't sometimes have non-dancers because sometimes people have brought uh, their children or sometimes their partner, their husband. Mostly they don't because most, uh, in my experience, when they come on a holiday here, they they're doing it for themselves. It's their little, <laughs> you know, they're coming to have their dance experience and the. The husband or the partner is not, what are they going to do while she's dancing or going out? But some people do. Some people bring a partner with them, which is fine as well. Well, like your place is also just gorgeous to hang around here, like yes, <laughs> and chill, yeah. like that, like little terrace that I already saw, like little snippet of that terrace, like it's already on its own and gorgeous, like you know, for some partners to wait around. <laughs> and I would like to say also that um, the way it it grew, um, in terms of what it looks like, is not. Um, I didn't plan everything. Uh, I have. A friend who it everything happens like like I say kind of organically I went when I was doing the art page for Insight magazine I went to interview an artist who happened to be English who was having an exhibition uh, of his paintings so we became friends he was the one who had the place out in Dashur in the countryside where I took my first pictures and he's a designer, an artist, uh, has architecture history. And uh, when I bought this place, I asked him, will you help me to make it beautiful? And he said, of course. So uh, it was his, um, all the details about the place are his design. Mm-hmm. And some of the paintings as well are his. 
and um, I will show you afterwards, give you a little tour. So everything in this apartment is personal. So all the art is either of my sister, who is an artist, or Hugh, who is the designer, my friend, that created the space, or um, another artist friend that I met in the same way, who was uh, an American married to an Egyptian, and she created a lot of the, the artwork as well, including some of the hand-painted furniture. Mm. And uh, yeah, so, and the photographs that I have are personal or pictures that are some of the first pictures that I ever took of dancers. So mm. everything you see has a, it's a, I didn't just buy it in a shop. I see. In fact, almost nothing here was bought in a shop except for like the refrigerator <laughs> wow. or this table maybe but other than that it's been bought for for a personal reason mm. yeah so that that was an important part of how it uh, developed actually i'm thinking about making a little film about it uh, in I haven't that quite like a good idea. <laughs> I haven't quite decided how to um, present the uh, from what angle, but yeah, filmmaking is something I became interested in recently. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what would you suggest uh, as a good, let's say, season or time of the year for dancers to come? Uh, visit Cairo, possibly stay here at your place. Mm. So. The peak times are like the spring and the autumn. The The summer is when a lot of the festivals are. So if people are coming to a festival, they're coming to a festival. You know, it's a, diff it's a completely different thing. Um, and some people do like to tag on a few days on the end or before to come here. But um, for me, the, the, the summer is in Cairo. It's okay if you're... If you go out a lot at night and you sleep in the day, but it's so hot. If you're, if you're going to do sightseeing and stuff like that, it's very, very hot in the summer. Mm -hmm. um, so October, November and beginning of December is lovely. And uh, the spring as well. Like March, April, May, now, but you can feel how hot it is. Yeah, it's already getting it's really already, hot. It's already, yeah. So those those are the best times. It's it's nice in the winter, but people have to realize, if you come in January, it's cold. Because some people don't realize that, and I end up, I've had to lend them my winter clothes. <laughs> Probably, I'm not sure about this, but how is heating system in Cairo? There isn't. There isn't. Yeah, that's what I thought, like... <laughs> And that's what I think many people don't realize. Like, okay, it may be not like a super heavy snowy, but mm. certain countries, I had the same experience in Brazil. Like, oh, it, yeah, it's not like super snowy, but in winter it's actually sometimes colder than mm. the countries, I don't know, Canada, Ukraine, because inside the building yes. there is no heating system. <laughs> exactly. So if you go to Ukraine in the winter, probably the house is going to be very warm. But here, okay, actually I have a fireplace. I'm like with logs in the winter, and I love to use it, but uh, it's really, it's not making the rest of the house warm. Mm. And um, there, 
people have to wear sweaters mm -hmm. and bring a, a coat to go out. But, you know, all times of the year are, are good to come. Mm. Yes. And uh, how about photography and specifically photography for ballet dancers? Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you have some, like, your very first photo somewhere around mm -hmm. here. But um, it, uh, like, your spot also became known for that, that dancers can come mm -hmm. and do photo shoots here. What are the most, uh, I don't know, possibly requested um, or popular requests among dancers for the photo shoots. Do you have anything like that? That it's like coming again and again this request, a topic for the photo shoots. Of course, um, it used to be people want to have pictures at the pyramids. You can't do it anymore. It's like the the antiquities authorities became very very uh, conscious about this, and also there are areas of the Giza plateau which are fenced off mm -hmm. you probably if yeah. you've been you know that you have to buy a ticket and go in and have a guide and so on if you if you t get off your camel and take some pictures in front of the pyramid in your regular clothes it's fine but um, the authorities became very uh, you know they they don't want pictures of belly dancers in front of the pyramids There's two reasons. Is it about dance in general or particular ballet dance? Like if someone, I don't know, do a little video just dancing, like nothing to do with ballet dance, but is it something about ballet dance particularly or it's just more like in Okay, there, there's two reasons for their um, stopping this. Uh, the first reason is because any commercial photography... Um, You know, they don't know what you're going to use the pictures for. Mm -hmm. But any commercial photography in the Giza Plateau, you're supposed to pay a location fee. And it's thousands of dollars, you know. So, uh, for example, if you're making uh, advertising for uh, so, some product and you go and use the in front of the pyramids, they will, you know, charge you a location fee, which, by the way, they will do this anywhere in the world. Yeah, that's yeah, normal. Like it's normal. So that's like one reason. And the second reason is because, uh, yes, the association with the dance with wearing uh, very revealing costumes. Mm -hmm. It's a cultural issue. I, By the time I... Uh, the last few years that I was taking pictures at the pyramids, I was insisting people were wearing galabea or something covered. But even then... They used to stop stop us, and then they would say it's because you don't have a permission. But is it because so. of Colabea or because they see mm. I don't know camera big one like yes. why, how they decide yes. is it oh because because I was visiting like uh, literally last week like uh, pyramids and there are many tourists that kind of wearing Colabea and yeah. Yeah. nothing to do with dancing like let's obviously just tourists so so if you're so if you're a tourist you will spend how long are you going to spend taking the picture. Maybe 10 minutes max, right? Okay. If you were with me, you're going to be there for like two hours with a, with a proper lighting, mm -hmm. with the reflectors equipment, and yeah. equipment. And they know they, this for them is not, uh, this is commercial. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They don't know what you're going to use the pictures for. And they don't want that association. Uh, there was a big case 
was it, two years ago, there was a girl, an Egyptian dancer, I think, that took some pictures in a revealing costume at Saqqara. Um, uh, yes, in Saqqara. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they, uh, they prosecuted her in the court. I don't know what happened and uh, if she won the case or lost it. But, you know, it was serious. They, they were filed of criminal charges against her and the photographer. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Something to keep in mind because we see as dancers like, oh, but there are so many photos on the internet of ballet dancers like taking photos on pyramids. But you also need, to, I guess, to realize when those photos were taken. Maybe yes. it's like old photos. At some point yes. it was okay, but now it's better to be careful. Absolutely, yeah. I have, okay, I have my ways. Uh, to to get some some pyra- pyramids pictures, they're not the Giza pyramids, but uh, you know I I uh, I have uh, I I have some ways of doing it, but even then it's sometimes uh, uncomfortable even for me. You know I I it's not worth it for me to get into trouble for it you know well in your case you also have a beautiful view right here from here yes. like it's an option to take some photos with the background of pyramids i think that shouldn't be a problem <laughs> i do that i do that of course um and i do location pictures um without necessarily a pyramid in mm-hmm. the background and um i do them in different places and outside of cairo and i've done several amazing trips to Siwa Oasis mm. for photo shooting, which is fantastic. But in general, I do um, insist when, when I take pictures of people, of dancers out, outdoors in a public space, that they cover. And I also feel that it's more authentic. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to have pictures outside, uh, with a camel or in a rural setting or in a, in the desert, um, it's much more natural to be wearing a folkloric, you know, more traditional clothes. And it it's nice contrast to have these pictures as well as having um, oriental. So what I tend to do, because I have here really nice backgrounds for oriental photos, uh, so if if somebody does like a full day shooting with me, all the beautiful two-piece costumes and revealing costumes, we do them here. And then we go on location and they put the folkloric mm-hmm. costume. Mm-hmm. And then they have both because it's really nice to have both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and coming back also for like teaching and classes and the things that you offer here, I know you have... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, some courses even upcoming soon, mm-hmm. I think in July, like uh, for dancers. And you also start doing events not only in Cairo, but now you're also doing events in UK. Yes. Um, so I'm now involved with a new dance organization in the UK called Belly Dance Now. And we are a team of five, um, five dancers. Um, and we are putting together, we have a, a legacy already from a previous organization called Jawad, which was started by somebody called Josephine Wise in the UK, the oldest dance organization for belly dance there. But 
She's retired and we have um, rebranded, relaunched this uh, initiative uh, and we're running workshops, um, uh, courses, uh, trips to Egypt where we, we, we have uh, courses which you can do uh, that are to do with learning about the culture of the dance, the history of the dance, the musical music courses, uh, as well as dance. And when you have done those courses, or even um, while you're doing them, uh, we run a trip called Essence of Egypt, which we then bring a group of dancers to Egypt and take them to Upper Egypt, do uh, classes in Tahtib and in um, Rawazi and see the dance in its natural context and then also bring them to Cairo, um, uh, have talks with dancers who are dancing now currently about the current dance scene. We've taken dancers to Alexandria in the company of Vaidanur, who is a famous Alexandrian originally dancer. Uh, so we've done, we put that together, but we also are running, um, yeah, regular workshops in the UK. There's a course, a summer school in August in the UK, um, and we have a big festival in February called Fantasia, which has been running a long, long time in London. Uh, the next, uh, and we have like uh, stars come, like Randa will be at the next one, and so on. So we're doing a lot of things. I'm very organized. Um, I am um, involved in this now in the UK. So I'm present there and taking part in a lot of these uh, these initiatives. We also have for the first time a competition, uh, which is run by Belly Dance Now, and it is called the Belly Dance Now International Challenge. Mm -hmm. We are doing it now for the second year running. This is very interesting because it's actually open to dancers anywhere in the world. And it's, it is a competition, but it's more to do with self-development for dancers. Mm. So um, what happens is over the course of a year, uh, we have challenges, which then they can go away and have a couple of two or three months to prepare and then present. Mm. and then uh, get very, very detailed feedback and then they get given another challenge and that, like this, it goes on. And then at some point later in the year, we then narrow it down to um, there's a, like an elimination. And then finally, the, the last finalists perform at the Fantasia Festival in London. So And this sort of like... A uh, I guess long-term competition yes, with challenges, it's already going on or yes. is it something that dancers still can join and apply? Uh, this year's it's already almost, it's full and um, we, are, we already are, uh, we set the first challenge two months ago and we're just about to receive all the um, uh, submissions for that. Uh, we'll be launching it again in February for next year. Um, and it'll be it's lots of details about it on our website but we last year it was really uh, great i mean we had a lot of people and from many different countries i think last year especially it was important for people because after the pandemic and after the 
a lot of dancers had kind of lost their um, uh, motivation. And uh, I think something like this, uh, some, quite a few of the dancers signed up again uh, this year again because they said it's a good way to keep yourself accountable mm -hmm. uh, and to have always a, a project that you're working on. Yeah. And then you you kind of so yeah it's it's the self development is more important than the competition aspect. Mm. That's interesting. And where is the best place for people to follow and find out more about these activities? And also, are you teaching online currently? Yes, I teach online. I I teach uh, um, mostly one on one. <laughs> private yeah, classes. Pri private classes, yes. Uh, yeah. And where is the best way for people to find out more information about it? Is it like you have some preferable, I don't know, favorite social media, or is it just directly like website? Like, where is the best? Or is it just message you and you'll send yeah, all the info? Uh, okay, so I'm, I have a website. Actually, it's being updated at the moment because I'm, I want to make it interactive. Because the other thing we haven't mentioned, because I also have, of course, music. Mm -hmm. I have uh, seven CDs, yes. which I think have been very popular over the years. And now they're all available online. Oh, that's great news. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and so, and I also have several films that I made. So the last film series, documentary series that I produced is called In Our Own Words, The Cairo Dance Scene Explained. Mm -hmm. And um, over a period of several years, we interviewed um, 22 dancers working in Cairo, uh, professional dancers, um, Egyptian and foreign, and asked them about the life of the dancer in Cairo um, about the ups and downs of that life, the good things, the bad things, um, their exper personal experiences, but also widening it out to talk to them about the, the direction that the dance is going right now, the influence mm. of festivals and, and dances coming from outside. Um, you know, it's a big, big subject, very interesting subject. And, and in part four, it's four parts. In part four, we also uh, opened it out to talk to um, venue owners, musicians, managers, the public, about attitudes towards dance and dancers in Egypt. Mm -hmm. It's available on uh, Vimeo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm, I'm redoing my website in order to be able to have all of these things interactive on the website, but it's a big job so at the moment um, the best way to contact me contact me is uh, on Instagram or Facebook or just to email me and since we uh, mentioned this because we briefly like just briefly mentioned it earlier but we mostly talked about like your career and your development but if I may ask mm -hmm. still if you have time yes. like for, for this uh, in your personal opinion how you feel about changes that are happening in Cairo dance and music scene. And I feel that you probably observed 
several waves of changes mm -hmm. and every time probably people are saying oh the dance is dying or the music mm -hmm. is dying or something like that and then next like i don't know in how many years next week it's again the same oh this is also disappearing this is also done so mm -hmm. how do you feel about current situation and dance because you still like you know everything you see everything here like how you feel about this um yes you are absolutely right i've seen um several over the decades um, the waves ups and downs of the the, the, the dance scene here um, like I said when I first arrived it, it was very very different the whole system of the way dancers got work and the type of venues and the type of audience um, changes uh, And I know the dancers that I know now who are working currently on a daily basis, they are sometimes keeping me informed about new trends. Um, even just yesterday, I was talking to Farah Nasri, who's working um, in a lot of venues around, um, about the changes. I mean, we interviewed for the, for the documentary, which we, had, we tried to keep up with what's happening in the different venues and who the audience are. But this is changing month by month, year by year. Um, a few years ago, let's say four or five years ago, there was quite a big resurgence of belly dance in, the, in young professional people, like going out to see dancers in bars, in, in nightclubs, um, and it became kind of trend on trend again. Um, right now, that seems to be, they've, they've kind of moving on to other things. This mm -hmm. is what I hear. Mm -hmm. The whether belly dance is something that's trending or it's out in fashion or out of fashion, that, that is changing every few years, it seems. But I think, I mean, if you if you go on Instagram, you will find that weddings are still having dancers. A wedding, uh, you know, there was a time when um, it seemed like uh, even wedding dancers were getting less work. Mm -hmm. But I, from, I mean, now there are there are always different options for people who are getting married. They can have. Um, a DJ or if they, they can't afford to have dancers. I think, and I don't know if I should say this, but I think there are, the, the way uh, a lot of foreigners are coming here to work now, they are undercutting each other and maybe um, it's not that as expensive to get a dancer at a wedding because there are so many foreign dancers who are willing to maybe for the experience mm -hmm. to be able to say I've danced in Egypt and I've done this and I've done that um, of course the the um, let's say the the licensing of, of 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 the you know the permissions and the licensing to be a dancer is a whole other subject you know it's an important subject in in Egypt that's always been something that uh when, when i made my first film here which was called journey of desire 
was about my journey mm-hmm. of becoming a dancer in Egypt, but it also included lots of interviews with other dancers. And we had a whole section on um, how to get your papers and your license for a dance, and it was a massive thing. And to the extent, and it's difficult, it's very expensive, very uh, time-consuming, um, it, it, it's, a, it's very problematic. So from what I have heard, a lot of dancers now just risk not having a license. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, which is kind of unfair on the dancers that do, because they've actually taken the trouble and spent a lot of money to get to do it legitimately. And then there are dancers who come along and just do the risk doing it without. But yeah, so all, all of these things um, within the, the marketplace of the dancers, things are changing and shifting all the time. The type of venue, the type of audience is changing. So like social media has been a huge influence, obviously on the way dancers work and the way they get hired. Now, dancers don't necessarily need to have a manager because they can actually get their own bookings. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think if you don't speak Arabic and you're not familiar with the culture, that would be pretty hard with that, you know, because Even I think... for obvious reasons, communication. <laughs> yes, exactly. But... Um, Actually, this is really interesting in part four of In Our Own Words, um, dancers talk about that. They talk about the pros and cons of getting your own work and having a manager or not. Because what happens if you if you getting your own work, you know how much you're getting paid. Mm-hmm. Because you, you do the deal direct with the client. And that was never the case before, yeah? The manager tells you, oh, you've got a, a private party and you're going to take this much. But you don't know because you didn't do the deal with the with the client. So you just have to trust. And that trust is often gets broken. You know? So I'm not the right person to interview when it comes to knowing all the intricacies, ins and outs of the actually working now. But in terms of when I have people come and stay here and they want to go out and see a dancer, um, then they might ask me, you know, who or where or or why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, you, I I think um, I do encourage when people come to Egypt, I encourage them as much as possible to see Egyptian dancers. Um, and... Uh, there are only a handful who have, who are probably working in a place, uh, the kind of venue where when you go and watch them, you're going to have the experience you're expecting. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I think I know what you mean, uh, because I, I was trying to figure out different venues for myself, or whether to go see. Believe it or not, I haven't seen any shows yet, but I know I'll have time. So now I'm just trying to figure out like the logistics of where, how to book, who is performing where. But I think I know what you mean, because a lot of dancers... Um, 
a lot of belly dancers outside of Cairo. We ha- we have expectations that oh, you come to Cairo and it will be a full orchestra like mm-hmm. band and will be a stage and several costume changes. Mm-hmm. And in reality, there are venues like that. Very few. But yes, exactly. And there are many venues that it's just like a nightclub and dance on a bar table. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yes. So that's exactly what I mean. Um, it depends what the experience you're looking for. And uh, like, for example, one of the, the my guests who's here right now, she, we were just talking about this earlier because um, a few days ago she went on a tourist boat to see a dancer. Uh, uh, I think it was Zara. Um, and she said, and then I booked... For, the, for her and another guest to go last night to a different venue. And she said, oh, but is it going to be the same? Because now I feel like I've done that experience. Now I want a different experience. So she went to, um, they went to Ritz-Carlton to see Sahar. And uh, she came back and said, oh, it was really different. People were very elegant. People were, you know, it's like, it's really good to go out and see, have, see the different types of venue. Um, on the tourist boats, you get well lots of tourists, but lo- you also get Egyptians who who are maybe out with their business as- associates or with their family in the in the hotels, like where the it's much more expensive. Um, you know, it's only people who can actually have that kind of cash who are going to go to see. A show in a hotel which is costing a lot for for the average Egyptian and then they're going to be dressed up and they're going to be you know showing off yeah. in the in in and that's good to see as well but then the cabaret is another thing so sometimes people uh, I, I always recommend that uh, girls dancers go and see a cabaret because that there's nothing like that anywhere except yeah. in Cairo. And it's kind of different even from nightclub. Yes. People don't really fully understand what cabaret is in Cairo. Absolutely. It's very specific. And I and they say, "Well, uh, what will what will, who are the audience?" And I said, "Well, you'll find there are a lot of men." And they said, "Well, are there are no women." And I said, "Oh yeah, there are plenty of women." <laughs> but, you know, you have to understand the dynamic. And then the other good thing about going to a cabaret is the music, because it's sometimes only now in the cabaret where you actually get that full orchestra, like the power of the, the music. You can still find that in the cabaret. And another crazy thing that I heard about cabaret that the show can start, let's say, at 1 a.m. and it will go all till like 8, 8.30 a.m. Non-stop. Sure. That's right. Yes. <laughs> and my husband still can, like when I mentioned this to him, he's like, I don't understand who would go, who would care to see a show at 8.30 a.m. I was like, wait, we'll get at some point <laughs> to yes. see. But it just sounds so unbelievable. I know. so different. I know. It's a, but that's also a cultural thing. And... Um, you know, in, in, in the hot countries as well, especially in the summer, where you get the Arab tourism, a lot of people coming here still from the Gulf countries and from other Arab countries, they come to Cairo to let their hair down 
to 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 be like unrestricted and um there it's hot it's really hot you know you go out at night um and it's uh people are living at night so it's not like in our country it's freezing cold at night right yeah it's 8:30 you will wake up to go to work and not to finish the show <laughs> that's another thing yes even you you go to the cabaret and you do wonder do any of these people actually have to get up to but probably they no i think is the answer and also you'll notice that here the timing is very different shops open late sometimes not till 11 or 12 in the morning yeah and then, restaurants too open yeah, later and then they stay open till late in the night so it's it's cultural culturally it's a very different kind of uh, time uh use of uh, time but yeah so the the different venues the hotels the boats the clubs and the cabarets and they're all very different from each other so if you coming as a dancer to see different um have different experiences it's good to see all of them if you can and also as a, if a, as a dancer you come in here during summer you have a fifth kind of venue it's a dance festival so there's plenty yes. of them <laughs> so that's quite uh, a contrast of all of these things <laughs> absolutely and the dance festivals are something else because dance festivals here just like outside i mean most people here in cairo don't even know that there are belly dance yeah. festivals in egypt they'd be shocked they have no idea um but here is the same like in dance festivals in europe uh, you, it's just dancers dancing for other dancers yeah and of course this changes everything about the way you dance Yeah. It just goes together with what you talked. Each venue has its own different audience mm. <laughs> and it influences yes. the dance too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And some dancers are good wedding dancers, but they cannot do well in a cabaret. In general, it was always true in the past. I I cannot say now, but I suspect it's the same now that foreigners are not very uh um successful in the cabaret mm. because it requires a kind of deeper level of cultural what's the word like uh, you need to be total immersion to really understand how to entertain in a cabaret it's it's maybe the most difficult mm. and also oh, i'm not sure if it's true or not but i heard that uh, also music in cabaret it's not your show like as a dancer you don't really choose it's more like what the band will play for you it, or maybe sometimes audience requests like it, it's slightly different so i don't know i think there are i have heard that some cabarets now have a like a house band Mm-hmm. But this is a way to save money, and they started oh, doing this in the in the in the pandemic. Okay. And there was um, a lot of places were closed, and then when they opened, they they were trying to save money. They were having a house band, but a house band in Egypt is very very um, unusual, and one reason for that is because the musicians' union is strong, mm-hmm. and musicians need to work so when they try to cut down and some places for example the musicians union uh, became very uh 
they tried to take steps to protect some musicians when everywhere everywhere was having a CD or or the dancer was dancing on the flash digital music and they tried to introduce now that's why you sometimes see even when the dancer is dancing on recorded music there's a tabla player mm -hmm. at least because the, um, yeah it's it's hard on the musicians if they if they stop employing live music um, right. yeah normally even in the cabaret each uh, performer whether a singer or a dancer has their own band mm, okay. and they, they change quickly from um, between the when one when the entertainer leaves the stage the new they, the band switches to another band mm. yeah Wow, I'm looking forward to seeing that experience yeah. too myself, uh, just to hear it. But thanks for sharing. It's very, very interesting to hear all this, uh, you know, insights that as a foreign ballet dancers, we all think about... Um, I feel many dancers have very limited understanding of where ballet dance actually lives. That it's mm. not, it's very different from festivals and festival yes. stage or competitions it's a really really different thing and if you dance for egyptians just egyptians whether in a for families in a wedding or or even in a in a nightclub what they're looking for is is different very different from what when when dancers watch another dancer it's different And what are your current goals or dreams for yourself as a dance artist, a teacher, uh, in general? Do you have any projects that you're really excited working on? Um, you know, I've always, um, most of my life, I've been doing uh, various creative things. And... Uh, I, I have noticed, especially since in the last few years, since I opened this place, people come and have pictures, people come and stay here, um, and I'm still got traveling and, and performing at festivals and teaching workshops, but I've noticed that people often have difficulty to, if you do more than one thing, they get... They, they they want to associate you with one thing. Ah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, yes, Mina. Oh, yeah, she's the one who does the pictures. But then what about the show? What about the workshops? Or what about the something else? You know, it's like people um, tend to associate you. So I am struggling always with that. I'm trying to, uh, on you know, we have to use social media. On social media, I'm trying to remind people about all the different services that are available, including the classes, including uh, the, the accommodation, including the, the photography. It's a lot, you know. Um, so I, I think also I never expected to be uh, living my whole life in this under this umbrella of oriental dance or belly dance. It's, it's incredible, really, um, that it's given me so much and I'm incredibly grateful and I've met so many amazing people from all over the world. And I think as we move 
the, the, as we get older and we have all this experience, what I hope is that um, this will be something valuable, you know, for for new generation of dancers coming. That um, we, uh, I'm I'm sort of constantly reformulating what I feel I have to offer. So, um, as long as I feel still um, passionate and feel inspired by the dance and by the music, and then I will be able to translate that to new people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing with the with the pictures. You know, I um, now since I've been in the UK, I started taking pictures there. And it's very funny because I'm like, oh, at last, I don't have to take any more pictures of pyramids. I can take pictures in the in the woods, you know, <laughs> like in the English countryside. Oh, it's such a nice change. And it's kind of funny because for the girls coming from England, it's the opposite. They want to be in the desert. You know? But I sometimes I think, oh, what a nice change from the desert. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, um, I, as I mentioned, Film, I'm interested in making more films and um, I've done these series of films about the dance um, and its relationship to Cairo and I would like to make a film about the development of the this place uh, as a kind of a, how it grew um, and what it I don't know. I, I'm still trying to get my head around how I, how I want to present it, but I think yes, I'm uh, I'm still feel like I, I I want to have that reach out to different dance communities around the world um, with what I have to offer in terms of my experience. That's my cat is meowing. <laughs> Well, he's already uh, been so patient. He or she, she, she was already so patient. <laughs> so, and in terms of the the projects we're doing in the UK, yes, I um, I've been really happy when I've been back in the UK to see uh, the new dancers coming up. That that there is, uh, you know, there is a kind of a movement, and now. As you probably know, and lots of people have pointed out, since COVID and the pandemic, there's been a whole new way of people to learn about the dance and the interact with each other, to network, to have access to um, teachers in different countries and so on. And I feel like this has, yes, in some ways brought us all closer together mm-hmm. and... Uh, that's a, that's that's a really positive thing. Um, so yeah, I I'm just incredibly grateful for my life in dance and my la- life as a dancer with this wonderful connection to Egypt, um, which just everything that happened has happened organically it's kind of one thing has led to another but it's each time it seemed it's felt like the right thing and I think that that's really important in life and I think uh, 
um, it's important for me to believe in what I have to offer, um, especially here in this place, and um, for it to be something useful and valuable to dancers out there. It's like, it's for them, it's not for me, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I also am incredibly grateful for you uh, agreeing to spend this time and share your story. It's such an incredible one and there are definitely a couple of surprises that I didn't expect and absolutely didn't know about you and it's, uh, I really value that uh, um, opportunity to discover more about artists because there are many things that there is no way we can discover from watching someone's video or even social media or trying to, I don't know, read the bio or anything like that. So there are many, so many stories, valuable lessons that are left behind the scene. And mm. I'm really grateful for you to agree to participate and to share your story, your experience so far. And I'm looking forward to seeing how this venue and your projects will bloom, blossom and uh, evolve in the future and looking forward to seeing the full documentary because this space is just gorgeous. And uh, as a summary of our today's conversation, I would like also to ask you our sort of final question. We have one traditional question, yeah. which I ask every single guest regardless mm -hmm. of what we talked during the conversation. And the question is, what makes you fall in love with belly dance, oriental dance, that you keep doing it for so many years? Um, what, what I told you, what made me fall in love with it in the beginning was the music. And now, until now, when I go into my studio, it's in order for me to move, for it to be in my body, that has to be the starting point. It's uh, it's always got to be the music. So I think that um, as long as the music still has something to say to me, uh, I will keep on responding to it, I think. This episode was brought to you by the Yana Dance Club, bringing more consistency and more fun into your dance training online. Check it out at yanadanceclub.com, direct link in the show notes. And before you leave, don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends, as well as leave a review on iTunes or any other app you're using to listen to the show. The more people know about this podcast, the easier it is for me to bring even more awesome guests. Until next time, keep shimming and keep dancing.